Tonight's talk is called Sitting in the Seat of Truth. It's about truth, truthfulness, and as we see it unfolding, you know, it really becomes a devotion to truth, a devotion to honoring our deepest vows. To me, this is a really powerful subject. And each time I speak about truth, truthfulness, I step into the fire. (laughs) It's a find, it's not always such a comfortable place to be. You know, it really, in speaking about it, calls me to uh, look deeply at my life, how I'm living it, what I say what my actions are. And sometimes this can be uncomfortable, uncertain. I've had um, a lot of inspiration come from a teaching that I once heard about Gandhi. One time Gandhi was in India about to board a train. And if you've ever been to India, you know that (laughs) that can be pretty crazy. (laughs) So in the midst of this chaos, as Gandhi's trying to board this train, which you can imagine just his being there is going to attract the throngs of people. And there's this reporter who wants to get a pearl of wisdom from Gandhi. And so he yells out, please give me a message for the people. And Gandhi responded by saying, my life is my message. I find it such a powerful statement. Now to live one's life as being the message, being able to stay that true to one's deepest vows, to live with that kind of integrity, when I look back, at least on my youth anyways, and probably other times, and I think with, I want that to be my message. <laughs> you know, some of the things we may have done in our lives may not really uh, reveal, portray what we want to bring into the world, what we want to keep alive in the world. Um, but it's something to aspire to. It's some... To me, I mean, the word truth is what, well, you know, in, the, in, in youth, in you know, waking up to a spiritual journey, uh, that was the word that kind of got me, truth. And um, and just seeing that there can be this you know, really wholesome intention to live with that depth of integrity. And yet, certainly for me, I found how challenging it can be. You know, whether it's for reasons of fear, of wanting to stay safe. Because often, you know, in honoring truth, we will be moving out of our comfort zone. You know, even just in the ways that we, the decisions we make in our life. So, you know, if we're not going to become deadened and hardened, 
if we're going to have to move into the unknown. And sometimes it might be taking a step in life that feels really scary. And only recently I've come to see that those steps were easier in my youth. <laughs> you know, just somehow, oh yeah, that feels right. You know, that feels really true. I can do that. And then as I get older, it's more like, hmm, <laughs> what do you mean I have to let go of my savings, my retirement funds, my security, <laughs> my job? <laughs> you know, it becomes a little more rattling. But I also have found that when there is a real conviction in the heart, there is the willingness to face whatever life brings. We know that that's what we can learn from. Sometimes we neglect truth by way of preserving our self-image in the world. Wanting to appear better than, you know, wanting to bolster ourselves up. And so we turn our back on truth for a moment. There's, you know, the saying um, to be true to yourself. And we probably all have practiced long enough to know that that isn't as simple as it sounds. Because, well, you know, even from the Buddhist perspective, the self in itself is questionable. (laughs) But moving beyond that, that if there's confusion in the mind, what voice do we listen to? No, and so we really begin to see that the practice becomes such a useful means of discovering what is truth? What is truthfulness? We know, we learn from our experience that it means not being true to desire. You know, that sometimes, you know, being true to yourself can have such a pleasant appeal to it, being true to what we really want to do, what, what um, you know, fulfills our sensual desire. But we know that is very shallow. That doesn't lead to any great and lasting wisdom. Sometimes, you know, it's just hard to break through the delusion that covers over what real truth is. But we use our practice to do this. We use the moment-to-moment mindfulness, the willingness to turn up, to see, to be with our experience. When we take refuge, as we just did a few moments ago, You know, the second aspect being to take refuge in the Dharma. This can be translated as taking refuge in the truth, the lawfulness of life. And our practice to really be able to see this, to see things on the deepest level of truth, to see things in their nature as they are, This does take a great willingness when we are hit by experiences that we don't find becoming to our self-image, when we are hit by things that we'd rather not see. On 
you know, one of my first longer retreats, I became, uh, you know, a lot of anger, rage, jealousy arising in the mind. And not wanting to see that with honesty. And it took a while. And so, you know, if within that process there was great attachment to the story behind the anger, there was a lot of blame in the, in the voice, in the mind. It wasn't a way that I commonly thought of myself. You know, I had thought of myself as being a reasonably kind person. And suddenly there was these states of mind arising, not just mildly, with, you know, huge intensity to them. And it's like, whoa, you know, to sit in the place of really honoring that. it It was so raw. It didn't feel possible. But then, as the burn of identification set in, and you know, that really is what happens when we identify with these states. It's just like we fry within them. And, you know, as that set in, there came an aspect of being able to honor, to know anger just as anger to really see that anger was present. But also beginning to see it impersonally, in its nature. Sometimes with some of the ways that we protect ourselves from seeing truth, that's really embedded in the stories that we tell ourselves. And that this can be a way of keeping ourselves comfortable. You know, that even within stories of deep suffering, because they are familiar, we find comfort in them. But when we stand in the place of naked awareness, with truthfulness, we're surrendering these stories. We've probably all experienced what a shift happens, you know, when we've really been struggling with something, and then honesty comes. For a moment, we can just let it be what it is. There's such a relief in that. Because we're not trying to uphold an image. We're not trying to dodge something, to suppress something, to keep something at bay. We're just allowing it to be there. So, in our practice, seeing if we can really touch into a level of frankness. No, it's not brutal. It's not harsh. Because really, ultimately, truthfulness is kind. It's going to reveal to us what we've been clinging to, identifying with, what we haven't been able to let 
genauen. When we find that we can be really honest within our own experience, we see that we all have within us the seeds of violence, war, crime, that we see the pain that happens when we identify with these states, and ultimately we see that they are not who we truly are. And when we go through this process, it helps the compassion to strengthen so that when we see others who are struggling with this sense of honesty, not being clear, not really uh, able to come forth, being deceptive in some way, it enables us to hold these beings with compassion in our hearts. Truthfulness is one of the ten paramis, or the requisites for enlightenment. Qualities of heart and mind that really assist the mind in awakening. The other of the paramis are generosity, ethical conduct, renunciation, wisdom, effort, patience, Resolve, loving-kindness, equanimity. I didn't count. I'm not sure if that was the other nine. But you probably get the flavor of these paramis. Very beautiful qualities of heart and mind. And within all of these paramis, truthfulness is said to be one that aids all of the other paramis in ripening. Without truthfulness, they can't fully flower. It's also said that you know, the Buddha, before he was a Buddha, uh, traveled through many lifetimes, really working with the full flowering of all of these qualities to help his mind to awaken as he sat under the Bodhi tree. And in the journey of all of these lifetimes, it's said that truthfulness is one aspect that he always lived by, that he never spoke untrue words, and he never acted in ways which speech was cruel to others. It really gives a strong base to our lives to have a commitment to truthfulness, the intention to honor truthfulness. Truthfulness can be an utterance of speech that points towards truth and reflects truth. In speech in our lives, if we practice truthfulness, honesty, 
it really helps to create a harmonious environment. If we are truthful, others feel like they can trust us. It helps them to see more clearly. And one of the things about these paramis that are really good to know is that they're all the development of them is based in compassion to be for the welfare and benefit of all beings. And with truthfulness, we're really working with being true because that is what helps support the alleviation of suffering. And we find that very viscerally. You know, if, you, if there's somebody in your life whom you really trust, what they say, how they live their lives, what happens when you're in their presence? And you're, you're in their presence. I mean, if there's just you, you feel like you can put down your armor. You can be more at ease. That is, unless we feel like we have something to hide. In that way, they're a very good mirror. When we're not truthful, we really create separation. No, people don't trust us, and they feel on guard around us. And it can happen, too, that if we're putting out false messages, and somebody's listening to that, and they could have a moment where then they don't trust their own perception, and it just leads to more confusion. The words we speak have so much power. They can provoke wars, or they can help bring about harmony, unity. And yet, when we look at speech, we often speak on impulse. You know, just a thought appears in the mind, we're not aware, out it comes. Now take a look at all of the thoughts you've had today. Were they all true? (laughs) Useful? (laughs) Um, I'm looking in my own mind. (laughs) You know, thoughts are so conditioned. They can come from so many different causes. And some of it is just rubbish. You know, just this, It's, it's amazing what will arise as a thought in the mind. You know, as one teacher, uh, I'm not quite sure which one it was, often said, the mind has no shame. And, you know, we see that in our thoughts. It will think, the mind will think about anything. And so it really pays to work with right speech, truthfulness in our speech. I've really marveled at, in the world we live in, how little guidance we may have received about communication, how to speak in a way that we can be heard. You know, in school we learn structure of sentences, grammar. In fact, we can get it grilled into us to perfection, and yet may never touch upon how to speak in a way that honors truth and can be received by another. 
some years ago, not all that many years ago, I was concerned enough about speech that I decided to take a communications course. And what was really interesting to me was to see there was all different kinds of people in this class and that everybody was struggling. That because the habits of delusion are so strong and everybody could see that they so often said unskillful things and felt they had so little training in it and yet so important. So in some ways, you know, I felt like I've had to be in kindergarten around speech and how to work with it. The Buddha gave some beautiful guidelines on the five marks of words well spoken. He talked about speaking in a timely manner, speaking that which is true, that which is gentle, purposeful, and spoken with a mind of loving kindness. I've taken to heart his guidance, not that it um, (laughs) isn't times when it kind of flails, but that it really gives me something to reflect on when I'm about to speak, to check, is this timely? Is this an appropriate moment? A friend of mine once said, if it's truth and cannot be heard, it's not truth that we can have, you know, what we feel like is something deeply meaningful we just need to say. But then if you look at the person you're about to say it to, and maybe in that moment they're in a really shaky, vulnerable state, it might not be the right time to say it, to speak it. So we look to see Is this the right time? Looking to see, is it true? Is it a statement that reflects truth? That isn't colored by wanting to bolster ourselves? That isn't colored by some form of deceit? That isn't tainted in some way? But is some accurate reflection of something in the moment? Is it spoken in a gentle manner? I'll come back to gentle. Is it purposeful? So much of what we say uh, really doesn't have a lot of purpose can be just frivolous. And yet, when it's purposeful, it's something that's useful, it's helpful, it's dispelling of confusion, it can create harmony and connection. There's a lot of really good purposes to speech. And so just to see, is it something that's helpful in the alleviation of suffering? Is it spoken with the mind of loving-kindness? Is it spoken from that place of connection, care, where we're really taking into account the whole situation? 
That naturally lets our words be gentle, caring. Important to watch what messages we put out in the world. Do they let our life be the message? I'd like to share a poem from William Stafford. It's called A Ritual to Read to Each Other. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world, and following the wrong God home, we, we may miss our star. For there is many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug that lets the fragile sequence break, sending without shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dike. And as elephants parade, holding each elephant's tail. But if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs but not recognizing the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote, important region in all who talk. Though we should fool each other, we should consider lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes or no, or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. our speech can really be a way of helping to dispel the darkness of ignorance. In working with speech, truthfulness, before we speak, to check our motivation, to see what's the intention behind this. Is it helpful or is it hurtful? We can also, in working with right speech, look at how we have learned to work with mindfulness of thinking in silent practice. Know to see, to know that we don't have to speak each thought as if it were true, to recognize that it just is a thought and not be so attached and identified with the content of that thought. We also can be mindful of the mind states that are present before we speak. Sometimes if the mind is colored by anger, aversion, if we can recognize this, It helps us to not speak from that place. I'd like to share a teaching from Bhikkhu Bodhi, 
who is a Western monk who has devoted so much of his life to the translation of the suttas and commentaries on the suttas. And he says of truthful speech, to realize truth, our whole being has to be brought into accord with actuality, with things as they are, which requires that in communications with others, we respect things as they are by speaking the truth. Truthful speech establishes a correspondence between our own inner being and the real nature of phenomena, allowing wisdom to rise up and fathom their real nature. Thus, much more than an ethical principle, devotion to truthful speech is a matter of taking our stand on reality rather than illusion, on on the truth grasped by wisdom rather than the fantasies woven by desire. There's a couple of points in this that I'd like to just highlight. The correspondence between our own inner being and the real nature of phenomena. This is the deep investigation into truth that requires a deep listening, learning, being with, so that we can see life in its nature. We can find a responsiveness to life that comes from an intuitive wisdom. And then also to highlight where he says, more than an ethical principle, devotion to truthful speech is a matter of taking our stand on reality rather than illusion. Isn't this what we long for? To take our stand on reality. This is where we keep truth alive in the world. From the Buddha and the Dhammapada. Better than if there were thousands of meaningless words in is one meaningful word that one hears on hearing brings peace. Better than if there were thousands of meaningless verses in one meaningful verse that on hearing brings peace. And better than chanting hundreds of meaningless verses is one Dhamma saying that on hearing brings peace. Seeing if we can find simplicity in our speech that helps us to take a stand on reality rather than illusion. In speaking about truth, wanting to also briefly touch upon the two levels of truth, the relative level and the level of the absolute. In the relative level 
of truth. This is the relative level of convention, of subject and object, of me, me ocean, you, whomever you are, <laughs> that there's a world of convention, a world of convention that is helpful in our lives to distinguish, to respect. It's the world of our experiences. And then the level of the absolute, the ultimate, where there is no subject and object, no separation, no thing in itself. The deepest aspect is the unborn, uncreated, unmanifest. Our lives really become a way in which we need to honor both truths, to live on the level of the relative, honoring the sense of self, sense of other, the things we do, the actions we take, taking care in what we do and say, and yet living on the level of the relative with the wisdom of the absolute, not being bound in. What that helps us to do is to free us from ideas of perfection, getting it right. We know that things are unfolding according to natural law. There's a great challenge in honoring both of these truths. Sometimes we get caught in the level of the relative. And that really, you know, is, ah, gets tight and confined. You know, it leads to that sense of perfection. Sometimes we get caught on the level of the ultimate, the absolute where we just have the sense that everything's empty, so nothing matters. But it's the blend, or it's the honoring of both truths. And there's an appropriate to both truths. But not, not, um, In the, in the level of the relative, it's like so often we mistake it to be something absolute. We make it solid, real, in a way that it's not. And to just see it as a level of convention. And you know, not to try and discard it. There's an appropriateness to the flow of life. The inquiry into truth is really supported by the work that we're doing here, how we are just learning to be honest moment to moment, how we are strengthening factors in the mind 
that help us to see clearly, to have a stable attention, to be able to discern. The inquiry into truth is not limited to the work that we do here, but is something that we can keep alive in our lives. It's something that in my own life I have come kind of a sense of responsibility around. And this came to light at one time when, I think last week, for those of you who are here, I had shared the story of going to Burma and ordaining. I was in this nunnery. Um, the abbess of that nunnery was someone whom I became very fond of. To me, she was just such a light and joyful inspiration in how to be on this path. Uh, She just had such an inquisitive nature and so playful at the same time. Really, you know, very inspiring. And along with the abbess was her aunt, who was in her 80s. She, her health was failing. She had been a nun since she was seven or eight years old, quite young. Um, And she was somebody whom I would just go and I would sit in her room because it was just inspiring to be in her presence. And sometimes she would wake up, and she wouldn't know if it was night or day. But she always, and just in talking to her, something always came to light. And she, too, had the same lightness of being. And then, you know, some years later, a few years later, I was back over here, and I heard that they had both died. And they died within a month of each other. And it was, to me, quite unexpected. The, the aunt you know, wouldn't have been a surprise to hear that she had died. But the abbess, when I knew, you know, had last seen her, she was so vitally alive. It was like, you know, whoa, how could that happen? And um, you know, so it was a shock. And then I realized that I had always had this sense that if things got really wrong, went really bad in my life, I could go back and be with them. That somehow they provided some sense of refuge. And then in just realizing that they were gone in this form was like, whoa. The, you know, the elders dying away. If nobody takes on this responsibility to discover truth, the world will become very dark. And so it's our job. It's our place. It can be the journey of our lives. And it is such a worthy journey. And it does take a courageous heart because we do step outside of our comfort zone at times. But the potential, and we can see the potential through looking at our own lives and just how much the practice has already done for us. And that's what we stay true to that deep desire to be happy. Being truthful, we just don't turn our backs on that. But we have to clarify 
We have to come out of our confused, habituated states. And it can be joyful. I mean, you know, it can sound heavy (laughs) speaking about truth, but it's lightning. It's relieving. It's relinquishing. Moment by moment, just doing the best that we can. What else is there? What could be more important? Let your life be your song. Let your life be your message. I'd like to just end with a short poem from Sagya, who was a 12th century monk and poet. The mind for truth begins like a stream, shallow at first, but then adds more and more depth while gaining clarity. Let's just sit for a moment. So closing with the reflections on the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.